You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hey, this is Travis with Waterloop. You've probably heard me talk about how much I like High Sierra showerheads for their incredible water efficiency, their solid metal construction, and because it's a small business based in the U.S. with owner David Malcolm having a commitment to water and energy conservation. While I hope you value my opinion, there are some pretty major endorsements you should listen to. High Sierra Showerheads were rated Best Showerhead by Popular Science and CNET, and Best Low Flow Showerhead by Wirecutter. If you go on Amazon, you'll see that High Sierra gets the highest ratings, 4.5 to 5 stars, from all the satisfied customers. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis, joined for this episode by Quint Shambaugh. He is co-founder of Diggs Associates and lifelong uh, farmer. He's joining from Illinois here. Quint, glad to have you on the podcast. Travis, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I want to just start before we dig into water issues specifically and some things that can be done to better manage water and farms. What's your, what's your story? What's your experience growing up, uh, growing up and being around farms? Yeah. So I had a traditional, uh, row crop upbringing in central Illinois. Uh, I literally grew up on a rock or actually more of a dirt road. And, uh, until about preschool, I would have never thought that anyone didn't grow up on a farm. Then it wasn't until college where I learned that some people have no idea where their food comes from. And I'd like to think that the farm that I grew up on was rather progressive. Uh, we weren't afraid to try new things, uh, grow, learn. Uh, during my time here, uh, we transitioned part of the farm to organic, a little over a third of it. Um, we've always been on the forefront of GPS and uh, any type of machine control. Uh, it's been a good experience where I, I've taken a lot from it. You know, you hear a lot of th- perceptions or uh, preconceptions, <laughs> misinformation, whatever about about farmers from people that aren't farmers themselves or haven't really, you know, been around agriculture. Um, how do you think farmers feel about water quality and conservation? Yeah, so I believe a majority of farmers want to be good stewards of land. In general, farmers want to do what's right and leave things better for the next generation. Uh, however, I believe farmers are in a tough position. Uh, they're in an extremely competitive environment that doesn't always quickly or monetarily reward conservation and stewardship. So um, as most people know, farmers are renting and leasing more and more of the ground that they farm. Uh, this unfortunately can lead to conflicting interests. So landowners that own the ground need returns, but they want long-term value out of the asset. Uh, farmers, however, they need an immediate return or else they can't stay in business. So I guess in general, uh, farmers want to participate in conservation, but I believe they're put in a really tough place because the market makes it difficult for them. And the biggest barrier to the entry that we've seen to conservation at Diggs Associates is short-term economics. And we see it time and time again. Uh, farmers want to participate, but they can't afford to. So 
some of the perception that's out there, maybe in the environmental community or the regulator community that, that farmers just kind of don't really care about water quality or they don't want to put in practices that are going to reduce pollution, control runoff, all that kind of thing. That's, that's misplaced. I, I would wholeheartedly agree to that. I would say, you know, with a broad brush painting here, farmers really care about the land they farm. It's just that economically they can't afford some of the some of the practices, and it makes it really difficult for them. Uh, taking acres out of production that they have to pay rent on, um, it's really tough to sharpen that pencil sometimes for producers. So there's the economic piece, and then there's probably an element of time too, right? Like we know farmers work hard and they're busy and they're grinding it out 365 days a year. Um, there's no like down days, right, for for a farm. So you know, when do you also find the time to invest to to learn about some solutions or learn about new practices and then put them in? That that's part of the challenge too, you'd say. That's a great point, and you know. We expect farmers to be, or, or farmers are experts in everything, right? They have to be an accountant. They have to be an agronomist. They have to be a mechanic. Um, now we put on their plate that they need to be a water management expert. And I think that's unfair. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's difficult for them to keep all those balls in the air. Uh, that's one of the things Diggs tries to help them with is to take, is to be their consultant and to help them with at least one aspect of their farm and take it off their plate. But yeah, I, I think it's a very, uh, a very demanding job. Mm. So let's, let's talk about like water needs and challenges a little bit more specifically, you know, for people that, that aren't familiar with as familiar with the details of agriculture or how a farm works, right? Like, okay. Yeah. You need water to grow, to grow crops. We get that basic part, but like, yeah, w w take it beyond that for me, you know? Yeah, I know. I got it. Um, so the first thing we need to realize is that it really depends, right? Uh, it depends on where they're located. So some farmers need irrigation. Other farmers need drainage. And that drainage can be surface or subsurface, depending on soil type. And then depending on some soil types, you might need surface, subsurface drainage and irrigation. Um, but the challenges that most farmers across all geographies deal with are First and foremost, conflicts with neighbors and water. Um, one of my favorite clients, uh, who's a farm manager, likes to say whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting. Uh, and that's very true. Water and property rights get very personal. And uh, uh, the people become very stuck in their ways. Another uh, issue that pretty much everybody has is a lack of in infrastructure or water availability. So if you're out west, water scarcity is an issue. Those problems can be solved through increased efficiency and conservation. Uh, lack of infrastructure is more what we deal with here in the Midwest. So proper outlets for surface and subsurface drainage, uh, those problems can be solved through proper engineering and neighboring, neighbors working together. Hmm. And then finally, I would say a lack of actionable information from unbiased sources is another place that uh, all farmers or landowners uh, share issues with water. Um, other than Diggs Associates, there's really only three places where farmers can go for information about water and practices and what they do with them.
Uh, first and foremost, uh, I'd recommend, or one of the places is universities, right? The land grant mm -hmm. universities. Um, they're a great source, but the information can sometimes become stale or based on what the study was for, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, secondarily, they can go to industry professionals or manufacturers. Uh, these are a great source of information, but unfortunately, they can be inherently biased. What do I mean by that? The simplest ex explanation I can give is that if you call a guy with a bulldozer for a land improvement solution, he's going to give you a bulldozer solution. <laughs> um, he's, he's not going to give you an irrigation solution. So sometimes the people that we put our trust in just aren't uh, in the right position to give a holistic answer. And then finally, um, you know, they can go to NRCS. And NRCS is a great source for con conservation information, right? They're outstanding for that. But they can lack an information that marries conservation and production. Mm. And putting those two things together are really important for today's farmers because um, without, without increased production or without uh, decreased uh, costs, sometimes it's very hard to put in, put in conservation practices. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So they've got on, on one hand that their challenges are about water quantity, too much or too little, really, right? Depending yeah. on yep. where they're located. And that thing you mentioned before about, you know, in the Midwest or the East, infrastructure being a problem means they're not able to drain the land well enough. And so water's going to sit there and flood and, and, or just keep things too wet. Right. Um, so water, absolutely. right. Okay, cool. Uh, so yes, water quantity is a big right. issue. And then the other one is information, um, getting, getting information and getting it from a source that's going to be able to give them, give it to them the right way or, or really help them address the problem. What about then, what are some of the historical problems for pros and cons with the way that farmers have managed water? All right, let's go ahead and I'll get out that broad brush again, right? All right, all right. <laughs> this isn't for everybody, but in sure. general. If you're um, going to generalize, yeah. I would say, yeah, we're going to generalize here. So somebody's going to be offended, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that most farmers have taken a hands-on approach to their water management, right? They're, they're in it. Um, in other words, they collected the information from universities, industry professionals, material manufacturers, and NRCS, and they, with their contractor of choice, or they, or them being a contractor themselves, um, develop plans and solutions for their farms. Um, they have also tended to be slightly provincial, or they focus on their farm. So they focus on a sole, you know, this is my 80. I'm going to drain my 80 acres. I'm going to make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. And there are some pros to that. Uh, the first pro is that a majority of farmers know a lot about drainage and irrigation and their farms. So they know, they, they know enough to be dangerous, right? <laughs> they know what to look, they know what to look for. They, a lot of times know if they're being taken advantage of, they, they know enough to, and they know when they have a problem. Um, they have hands-on experience and hands-on knowledge of their own projects. So I can't tell you how many times I've been on a farm and the, uh, gentleman or lady says, I have this drainage tile over there, 400 feet, and they know right where it is. Um, sometimes they don't know right where it is, but uh, <laughs> a lot of times they have a really good idea of what's going on on the farm. Um, they've also done an outstanding job of keeping their prices lower compared to commercial construction. So if 
these conservation or land improvement projects or any type of capital improvement project would be would have been happening on the construction or in the commercial construction side, uh, the pricing would have been higher than what they get on the ag side. And then they've also done a great job of not allowing uh, unnecessary regulation. Uh, they've made sure to do a good enough job with the projects that they've done and they've been conscientious enough of their neighbors to make sure that they don't have regulation that's unnecessary. Now, the cons. Um, first off, and I, I don't want any offense taken here, but sometimes they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. um, we're all guilty of this at times, right? But with an unregulated industry like agricultural drainage and irrigation, uh, sometimes it's tough to know what you don't know, and that can lead to problems. Uh, also, while they've avoided keeping costs, or while they've kept costs down, they've avoided using credentialed engineers a lot of times. And while that, once again, keeps costs down, that also leads to some inherent issues when it comes to checks and balances, uh, hydraulics, just general design. Uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, I mentioned that provincial and, you know, this is my 80 and I concentrate on my 80. Uh, one thing that we know is that water doesn't stop at property lines and that sole focus on individual farms can be restrictive, costly, and less equitable than working together. I'd also make the argument that they've lost a little bit of control of the projects that they are um, implementing because they have to rely so heavily on material manufacturers and industry professionals. Um, while I think a lot of them mean very well, uh, they can sometimes uh, you know, be focused on their solution. Uh, an example I have is Diggs Associates was brought in to consult with a drainage district in Illinois. And a drainage district is more or less just a taxing body that works together for mutual solutions for a group of landowners within a shared watershed. Okay. So we were brought in to work with them and the drainage commissioners and digs. So my partner and I were the ones who took the meeting and we went to their, uh, let's see, we were at a, we were at a gentleman's home and we sat around the dinner table. This was pre COVID hmm. and uh, we were discussing their plans to improve their district. And they had already had one, massive drainage tile installed in the middle of the district. This isn't common, by the way, uh, but one massive drainage tile that took care of 2,000 acres and it was undersized, but it was doing a decent job, but they wanted to add a second drainage tile so that then it was sized correctly to handle the entire 2,000 acres. And as we're sitting there, we're looking at these aerial maps and my partner and I asked, so you want to put this drainage tile right here? And the commissioner said, yes, right there where you're pointing. And we asked the question, well, isn't that a ditch? So, you know, a, just, a, just, a, just a ditch, a huge mm. ditch. And they said, yeah, that's a ditch. And we asked the question, can anybody cross that ditch? Do you farm across that ditch? Do you ever cross it at any point in time? And they said, oh, God, no, we never cross that ditch. It's uh, awful. Nobody would ever drive across it. And so we were both thinking at the same time, and we replied, well, then why would you install an expensive tile in the bottom of a ditch that you can't cross? Why not? dig a ditch at a reduced cost and then and then you can implement a two-stage ditch and at the same time uh lower your uh, uh nitrogen load that goes into the you know downstream uh watershed 
And they said, oh, well, we never thought about that. And we said, oh, well, you know, what made you think about a tile? And they said, well, we were working with the local tile company on a solution before we called an engineer. And so, of course, <laughs> not that they were doing it sinisterly but, or in a sinister fashion, but they were giving a solution for the products they had. And that can be a con because if you're not looking at it holistically, you run into those problems. And then I'd say the biggest con that right now we have in drainage water management or irrigation is that the discussion about water management and irrigation is too focused on price. And we don't focus on equity or long-term equity and gains. We were talking too much about what's a foot of four-inch tile cost. And that, that's, that's a mistake in my opinion. The upfront cost of, of putting in something, basically. Wow, very, yeah. very interesting. Um, well, you, you know, you said, yeah, don't know what they don't know. And like you like you said, that, that applies to all of us for sure. <laughs> and con- constantly, yeah, constantly, I yeah, constantly discovering that every day. Um, all right, so this leads well into the idea of like, what's, what's an alternative way to approach this issue, you know, instead of just kind of going to, to one off a bulldozer guy or a tile guy or go into NRCS yes. or whatever it might be, you know, what's, what's a, what's a different way to approach this? Yeah. So I'd like to start off by saying that I believe that contractors and manufacturers are absolutely instrumental to conservation, water quality, uh, farm improvement, and they do an outstanding job of what they do. Right. Um, but sometimes it takes uh, a third-party approach, and that's really what Diggs has tried to pioneer is this third-party approach. So what Diggs wanted to do was take a completely new approach. So we don't manufacture product products, and we don't do any construction. So we never pick up a shovel. Um, that was difficult for me when I started the company. <laughs> um, so we don't do any of that. We are strictly engineering, consulting, and facilitation. So we engineer and consult, and then we help them facilitate their project. Uh, We wanted to serve as an independent third party that focuses on every farm's individual equity. Um, In doing that, we're able to engineer holistically, you know, for what's best for the farm. So earlier when I gave the example of a bulldozer guy recommending bulldozer solutions, that doesn't happen with these. Uh, we're able to offer the correct solution for every property. We don't design for our specific equipment because we don't have equipment. We don't design for our specific products because we don't have products. We look at your farm, we analyze the data, and then we give you the best approach. We uh, also transform the approach to a more commercial mindset. Um, I really, really appreciate agriculture and how we can do things with a handshake and how things are a little bit different. But when it comes to, oh, five, six, seven figures sometimes, drainage water management, uh, watershed projects, um, it's important to maybe take a little different approach. Uh, The traditional approach to any type of capital improvement on a farm was that you would go out and you would find, let's say, two or three contractors and you would ask them for their uh, advice and recommendation. So let's say you're looking at a tile design or tiling a farm. They would all come out and they'd each give a separate survey. Then they would each give a separate design and then they each give you a separate estimate. So a farmer or landowner had to look at pieces of paper and make a easily uh, five to six figure decision 
on, you know, looking at these pieces of paper. And what that regularly came down to was looking at the bottom line, which once again, we go back to that price versus equity discussion that we had earlier. You know, they're looking at the price. Um, they don't know. It's very tough to compare because different different contractors design in different ways for different equipment. And it's very difficult to know which is the most equitable. So with Diggs, we wanted to flip that on 10. And we work with our clients. They come to us when they have a project. And what we do, the first thing we do is we discuss with them what their goals are. And then we create a design for them. So let's say, once again, it's a tile project. Well, Diggs makes a holistic tile design for them. And then whenever they're ready to go to the construction phase, we will find or work with their contractor of choice. And they can bid it out or they can work with whoever they like. And now it's an apples for apples process where every contractor has the same plan, just like a commercial uh, building. If you're going to build a building, the first thing you do is you call an architect and an engineering firm. You don't call the guy who's going to put up the drywall first. Um, that's how we wanted to approach this. Finally, with that process, we were able to then expand it into our holistic watershed model, which is where we help neighbors work together. Because I know that a third party is managing every farm individually and holistically together to make sure everybody gets the mo most equity out of the project. Um, when we are hired by a client, we account for every drop of water that can either enter or leave their, leave their farm or property. That way, the upstream neighbors have an opportunity to participate and the downstream neighbors don't get taken advantage of. And what we've been really proud of is that we're averaging around 74% participation in those watersheds. So out of every 1,000 acres, 740 acres work together. So you mean like other property owners, other farmers are like, hey, we'll get in on this, this planning process? Absolutely. Not only get in on the planning process, but actually complete a solution together. Okay. Um, gotcha. and, yeah. An example would be uh, a farmer has an 80 acre farm in the middle of a thousand acre watershed, and they're going to put a tile in that goes to a drainage ditch. Instead of that farmer running one tile uh, to a drainage ditch that only a drainage ditch that only addresses their farm. Uh, instead, we reach out to everybody else who could benefit from this tile. And they will routinely size the tile larger so more people can then tie into that tile. And then everybody can work together. And it's much cheaper to open one trench than open multiple trenches and put run individual tiles for everybody's farm. It'd be like if uh, everybody had to put in their own roads or interstates. You know, mm -hmm. it's much easier for us as a, us as a community to share in the funding of one interstate system so that everybody doesn't have to build their own road. So I'm really curious about the reaction from farmers, from the ag community to taking a much different, you know, approach like this in, in, into projects. What's, what's kind of the, the reaction feedback uptake? Yeah. So, um, I, with agriculture, as you know, things are slow to change. Um, so this is a completely different way to do this. So we're asking people in ag, which this isn't common or popular, uh, to pay for services that they would routinely get for free. Um, I believe, or actually I know that we've done a good job of explaining the value of those services and why it's more important for them to come from a third party and be, uh, paid for up front 
That way we can be completely honest about the solution and offer them holistic advice on it. Um, it also gives them the opportunity to have a better chance to work with their neighbors uh, because it's odd to think, but a lot of times uh, you don't always know who you're farming next to. Uh, it's not, it's probably not the way it was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, farms change hands a lot and you don't always know who your next door neighbor is. So when you're completing a project, uh, sometimes you need a third party intermediary to work with everybody. So I would say that once we're able to educate, uh, the, the reception has been outstanding. And what we're most proud of is that when people use us, they come back. So we've had a lot of repeat customers and that is, uh, to us, that's one of the things that we've been happiest about. Yeah. Well, that's always the testament of a good business or, or a good product or a good service is when you get the repeats coming back. <laughs> Definitely. Um, are there a couple of examples maybe uh, you want to share or, or add on here, examples of projects or the impact that you've had? Yeah. So, I, so I'll give some general uh, information and then I can kind of dive into a few. I can't give, can't give a specific project because we, uh, we, we adhere to strict confidentiality with our clients. We want to sure. make sure that they're comfortable and we don't share their information because obviously we're working with budgets and everything else. But I'll give some general information. And I'll tell you about a few that we're really proud of. Sure. Um, numerous times uh, we've had people tell us that we would never complete a project or help a community work together on a mutual solution. And time and time again, uh, this digs model has prevailed. Uh, we still haven't had a client who completed a project that did not receive a full return on investment from our consultant fees. So if they paid our fees and they went through with the project, we know that they've received a full return on investment. We're very proud of that. Um, our average project size is over 800 acres. Uh, we believe that's a testament to this holistic watershed model and neighbors working together. It can be done and we're very proud to do it. Um, every time we help a watershed work holistically uh, among neighbors, they end up with uh, a more equitable project that provides a better overall solution for their farm and their neighbors. And um, we've been really successful, especially having an in-house professional engineer and professional engineering department um, navigating jurisdictional right-of-ways. So that's townships, counties, states, drainage districts, utility right-of-ways, um, anything you can think of where it might be difficult to cross a particular area because of something underground um, railroads. We've had great success uh, with this model because one, we have professional engineering in-house, but two, uh, when we go to these right-of-ways, they understand that it is a watershed project and that this might be the last time they ever have to deal with somebody crossing them. A mm -hmm. um, couple projects we've been very proud of. Uh, we had a, a few projects in Illinois. They have both scaled uh, well over uh, 1,600 to 2,000 acres with over 90% participation, where we did everything from addressing the hydraulics of the shared community ditch uh, to installing pattern drainage and uh, conservation efforts for individual farms and shared drains, uh, including road borings, uh, culvert resizings uh, for the township, uh, just, a, just a full scale, top to bottom, uh, surface, subsurface, conservation, uh, everything intact project. And uh, what we're really proud of is that we can, uh, with our process, we can routinely turn these around it, as long as the clients want to move forward in under a season. 
So if you come to us in the spring and everybody is willing to do a project in the fall, in the fall, we can get it together by then. And same thing with fall moving into spring. And those projects have routinely been done in that time frame. Mm. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is is the opportunities for other organizations to be in this type of work. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of interest out there in, in the you know from conservation groups and environmental groups and others to to try to work with agriculture to improve impacts on water. Um, and you know, I'm just curious. You, you mentioned the watershed kind of approach and looking at things holistically. Uh, yeah, what are, what are the opportunities for for others like that to be involved? Yeah. So first off. Our door is always open. Um, we, Dix Associates, is always looking uh, to partner with forward-thinking organizations. So if you're an organization that has an idea or wants to look into something or needs engineering expertise or wants to talk about watersheds and how uh, we can have a greater effect on nutrient loss, uh, reduction strategies, anything like that, please uh, visit our website, digsassociates.com. Uh, feel free. My email is on there. We're, we're happy to work with people. Um, currently we have ongoing work right now with specific not-for-profits, uh, working towards finding watershed solutions for nutrient loss reduction. Um, we truly believe that, uh, if we want to get a handle on nutrient loss reduction, that, uh, oh, taking a bigger swing is necessary. Um, not that it can't be accomplished on a smaller scale and working individual farm by individual farm, but if there's a way that we can do it at a watershed level, then we're knocking out larger amounts of uh, nutrient loss at a time. And we believe we can do that at a more effective and equitable cost. And um, just once again, our door is always open for innovation. Uh, we're constantly looking uh, for good fits to improve overall water quality, equity for our clients, and just in general, progressive solutions for today's water issues. You know, being in Illinois, you all are in, in this upper Midwest that then feeds into the Mississippi River, feeds into the Gulf of Mexico. It's really well chronicled the, you know, the nutrient pollution issues uh, in the Mississippi River causes this big dead zone in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in trying to more sustainably manage agriculture to reduce those nutrients. Just curious, you know, what's on people's minds there in Illinois um, when it comes to nutrient levels in local waterways and then to the Mississippi? Yeah. So I would say it's top of mind, right? I think a lot of producers and a lot of service companies um, are very concerned about those issues. Um, I spoke earlier in the podcast about uh, uh, agriculture has always done a really good job of avoiding unnecessary regulation. And I think that producers are trying to police themselves um, and lower those, uh, those runoff rates and those nutrient loss reduction uh, strategies are trying to um, lower the amount of nutrients they lose. Uh, that being said, though, I think they are looking for more practical solutions and opportunities to perform nutrient loss reduction strategies at, uh, at a cost that is more uh, absorbable, I guess is the best way to put it. I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the biggest pushback we've had at Diggs Associates to uh, conservation and sustainability is that short-term economic cost. 
and just having to absorb that and you know take that out of your operating uh, operating income uh, for the next growing season. And that's really tough for a lot of farmers, especially when they're cash renting or leasing farms, um, especially when it's not their property that they're providing a long-term solution farm for, and they could lose it at the next year. So uh, I think I think it's twofold. Uh, side one is that everybody cares and they want to do something. Side two is how do they do it? I think that's where a lot of people struggle. Well, uh, Quint, I enjoyed talking to you about alternative ways for farms to approach these these water management issues. You know, it's it's clear that that that's um, something that's needed and can have a great benefit for the farmer and the water, which is I think really the goal here, right? Is is win win kind of scenarios. But um, thanks for for sharing what's going on there in Illinois. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Travis. Have me back anytime. <laughs> Waterloo. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Save 20% with promo code Waterloop at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.